Part four of a collection of stories, reviews, and essays by Willis Siebert Cather. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part four Eric Hermanson's Soul, Section two. For more than two years, Eric Hermanson kept the austere faith to which he had sworn himself, kept it until a girl from the East came to spend a week on the Nebraska Divide she was a girl of other manners and conditions and there were greater distances between her life and eric's than all the miles which separated rattlesnake creek from new york city indeed she had no business to be in the west at all but ah across what leagues of land and sea by what improbable chances do the unrelenting gods bring to us our fate it was in a year of financial depression that willis elliot came to nebraska to buy cheap land and revisit the country where he had spent a year of his youth when he had graduated from harvard it was still customary for moneyed gentlemen to send their scapegrace sons to rough it on ranches in the wilds of nebraska or dakota or to consign them to a living death in the sagebrush of the black hills these young men did not always return to the ways of civilized life but willis elliot had not married a half-breed nor been shot in a cowpuncher's brawl nor wrecked by bad whiskey nor appropriated by a smirched adventuress he had been saved from these things by a girl his sister who had been very near to his life ever since the days when they read fairy tales together and dreamed the dreams that never came true on this his first visit to his father's ranch since he left it six years before he brought her with him she had been laid up half the winter from a sprain received while skating and had had too much time for reflection during those months she was restless and filled with a desire to see something of the wild country of which her brother had told her so much she was to be married the next winter, and Willis understood her when she begged him to take her with him on this long, aimless jaunt across the continent, to taste the last of their freedom together. It comes to all women of her type, that desire to taste the unknown, which allures and terrifies, to run one's whole soul's length out to the wind, just once. It had been an eventful journey willis somehow understood that strain of gypsy blood in his sister and he knew where to take her they had slept in sod houses on the platte river made the acquaintance of the personnel of a third-rate opera company on the train to deadwood dined in a camp of railroad constructors at the world's end beyond newcastle gone through the black hills on horseback fished for trout in dome lake watched a dance at cripple creek where the lost souls who hide in the hills gathered for their besotted revelry and now last of all before the return to thraldom there was this little shack anchored on the windy crest of the divide a little black dot against the flaming sunsets a scented sea of cornland bathed in opalescent air and blinding sunlight margaret elliot was one of those women of whom there are so many in this day when old order passing giveth place to new beautiful talented critical unsatisfied tired of the world at twenty-four for the moment the life and people of the divide interested her she was there but a week 
perhaps had she stayed longer that inexorable ennui which travels faster even than the vestibule limited would have overtaken her the week she tarried there was the week that eric hermanson was helping jerry lockhart thresh a week earlier or a week later and there would have been no story to write it was on thursday and they were to leave on saturday willis and his sister were sitting on the wide piazza of the ranch house staring out into the afternoon sunlight and protesting against the gusts of hot wind that blew up from the sandy river bottom twenty miles to the southward the young man pulled his cap lower over his eyes and remarked this wind is the real thing you don't strike it anywhere else you remember we had a touch of it in algiers and i told you it came from kansas it's the keynote of this country willis touched her hand that lay on the hammock and continued gently i hope it's paid you sis roughing it's dangerous business it takes the taste out of things she shut her fingers firmly over the brown hand that was so like her own paid why willis i haven't been so happy since we were children and were going to discover the ruins of troy together some day do you know i believe i could just stay on here forever and let the world go on its own gate it seems as though the tension and strain we used to talk of last winter were gone for good as though one could never give one strength out to such petty things any more willis brushed the ashes of his pipe away from the silk handkerchief that was knotted about his neck and stared moodily off at the skyline no you're mistaken this would bore you after a while you can't shake the fever of the other life i've tried it there was a time when the gay fellows of rome could trot down into the thebiad and burrow into the sand-hills and get rid of it but it's all too complex now you see we've made our dissipations so dainty and respectable that they've gone further in than the flesh and taken hold of the ego proper you couldn't rest even here the war-cry would follow you oh, you don't waste words willis but you never miss fire i talk more than you do without saying half so much you must have learned the art of silence from these taciturn norwegians i think i like silent men naturally said willis since you have decided to marry the most brilliant talker you know both were silent for a time listening to the sighing of the hot wind through the parched morning-glory vines margaret spoke first tell me willis were many of the norwegians you used to know as interesting as eric hermanson who siegfried well no he used to be the flower of the norwegian youth in my day and he's rather an exception even now he has retrograded though the bonds of the soil have tightened on him i fancy siegfried come that's rather good willis he looks like a dragon-slayer what is it that makes him so different from the others i can talk to him he seems quite like a human being well said willis meditatively i don't read bourget as much as my cultured sister and i'm not so well up in analysis but i fancy it's because one keeps cherishing a perfectly unwarranted suspicion that under that big hulking anatomy of his he may conceal a soul somewhere nicht wahr oh something like that said margaret thoughtfully 
except that it's more than a suspicion and it isn't groundless he has one and he makes it known somehow without speaking i always have my doubts about loquacious souls willis remarked with the unbelieving smile that had grown habitual with him margaret went on not heeding the interruption i knew it from the first when he told me about the suicide of his cousin the bernstein boy that kind of blunt pathos can't be summoned at will in anybody the earlier novelists rose to it sometimes unconsciously but last night when i sang for him i was doubly sure oh i haven't told you about that yet better light your pipe again you see he stumbled in on me in the dark when i was pumping away at that old parlor organ to please mrs lockhart it's her household fetish and i've forgotten how many pounds of butter she made and sold to buy it well eric stumbled in and in some inarticulate manner made me understand that he wanted me to sing for him i sang just the old things of course it's queer to sing familiar things here at the world's end it makes one think how the hearts of men have carried them around the world into the wastes of iceland and the jungles of africa and the islands of the pacific i think if one lived here long enough one would quite forget how to be trivial and would read only the great books that we never get time to read in the world and would remember only the great music and the things that are really worth while would stand out clearly against that horizon over there and of course i played the intermezzo from cavaliera rusticana for him it goes rather better on an organ than most things do he shuffled his feet and twisted his big hands up into knots and blurted out that he didn't know there was any music like that in the world why there were tears in his voice willis yes like rossetti i heard his tears then it dawned upon me that it was probably the first good music he had ever heard in all his life think of it to care for music as he does and never to hear it never to know that it exists on earth to long for it as we long for other perfect experiences that never come i can't tell you what music means to that man i never saw any one so susceptible to it it gave him speech he became alive when i had finished the intermezzo he began telling me about a little crippled brother who died and whom he loved and used to carry everywhere in his arms he did not wait for encouragement he took up the story and told it slowly as if to himself just sort of rose up and told his own woe to answer mascagni's it overcame me poor devil said willis looking at her with mysterious eyes and so you've given him a new woe now he'll go on wanting grieg and schubert the rest of his days and never getting them that's a girl's philanthropy for you jerry lockhart came out of the house screwing his chin over the unusual luxury of a stiff white collar which his wife insisted upon as a necessary article of toilette while miss elliot was at the house jerry sat down on the step and smiled his broad red smile at margaret well i've got the music for your dance miss elliot olaf oleson will bring his accordion and molly will play the organ when she isn't looking after the grub and a little chap from frenchtown will bring his fiddle though the french don't mix with the norwegians much 
delightful mr lockhart that dance will be the feature of our trip and it's so nice of you to get it up for us we'll see the norwegians in character at last cried margaret cordially see here lockhart i'll settle with you for backing her in this scheme said willis sitting up and knocking the ashes out of his pipe she's done crazy things enough on this trip but to talk of dancing all night with a gang of half-mad norwegians and taking the carriage at four to catch the six o'clock train out of riverton well it's tommy rot that's what it is willis i leave it to your sovereign power of reason to decide whether it isn't easier to stay up all night than to get up at three in the morning to get up at three think what that means no sir i prefer to keep my vigil and then get into a sleeper but what do you want with the norwegians i thought you were tired of dancing so i am with some people but i want to see a norwegian dance and i intend to come willis you know how seldom it is that one really wants to do anything nowadays i wonder when i have really wanted to go to a party before it will be something to remember next month at newport when we have to go and don't want to remember your own theory that contrast is about the only thing that makes life endurable this is my party and mr lockhart's your whole duty to-morrow night will consist in being nice to the norwegian girls i'll warrant you were adept enough at it once and you'd better be very nice indeed for if there are many such young valkyrs as eric's sister among them they would simply tie you up in a knot if they suspected you were guying them willis groaned and sank back into the hammock to consider his fate while his sister went on and the guests mr lockhart did they accept lockhart took out his knife and began sharpening it on the sole of his ploughshoe well i guess we'll have a couple dozen you see it's pretty hard to get a crowd together here any more most of em gone over to the free gospelers and they'd rather put their feet in the fire than shake them to a fiddle margaret made a gesture of impatience those uh, free gospelers have just cast an evil spell over this country haven't they well said lockhart cautiously i don't just like to pass judgment on any christian sect but if you're to know the chosen by their works the gospelers can't make a very proud showin and that's a fact they're responsible for a few suicides and they've sent a good-sized delegation to the state insane asylum and i don't see as they've made the rest of us much better than we were before i had a little herd-boy last spring as square a little dane as i want to work for me but after the gospelers got hold of him and sanctified him the little beggar used to get down on his knees out on the prairie and pray by the hour and let the cattle get into the corn and i had to fire him that's about the way it goes now there's eric that chap used to be a hustler and the spryest dancer in all this section called all the dances now he's got no ambition and he's glum as a preacher i don't suppose we can even get him to come in to-morrow night eric why he must dance we can't let him off said margaret quickly why i intend to dance with him myself oh, i'm afraid he won't dance i asked him this morning if he'd help us out and he said i don't dance now any more said lockhart imitating the laboured english of the norwegian the miller of hofbrau the miller of hofbrau oh my princess 
chirped willis cheerfully from his hammock the red on his sister's cheek deepened a little and she laughed mischievously we'll see about that sir i'll not admit that i am beaten until i have asked him myself every night eric rode over to st anne a little village in the heart of the french settlement for the mail as the road lay through the most attractive part of the divide country on several occasions margaret elliot and her brother had accompanied him to-night willis had business with lockhart and margaret rode with eric mounted on a frisky little mustang that mrs lockhart had broken to the side-saddle margaret regarded her escort very much as she did the servant who always accompanied her on long rides at home and the ride to the village was a silent one she was occupied with thoughts of another world and eric was wrestling with more thoughts than had ever been crowded into his head before he rode with his eyes riveted on that slight figure before him as though he wished to absorb it through the optic nerves and hold it in his brain forever he understood the situation perfectly his brain worked slowly but he had a keen sense of the values of things this girl represented an entirely new species of humanity to him but he knew where to place her the prophets of old when an angel first appeared unto them never doubted its high origin eric was patient under the adverse conditions of his life but he was not servile the norse blood in him had not entirely lost its self-reliance he came of a proud fisher line men who were not afraid of anything but the ice and the devil and he had prospects before him when his father went down off the north cape in the long arctic night and his mother seized by a violent horror of seafaring life had followed her brother to america eric was eighteen then handsome as young siegfried a giant in stature with a skin singularly pure and delicate like a swede's hair as yellow as the locks of tennyson's amorous prince and eyes of a fierce burning blue whose flash was most dangerous to women he had in those days a certain pride of bearing a certain confidence of approach that usually accompanies physical perfection it was even said of him then that he was in love with life and inclined to levity a vice most unusual on the divide but the sad history of those norwegian exiles transplanted in an arid soil and under a scorching sun had repeated itself in his case toil and isolation had sobered him and he grew more and more like the clods among which he laboured it was as though some red-hot instrument had touched for a moment those delicate fibres of the brain which respond to acute pain or pleasure in which lies the power of exquisite sensation and had seared them quite away it is a painful thing to watch the light die out of the eyes of those norsemen leaving an expression of impenetrable sadness quite passive quite hopeless a shadow that is never lifted with some this change comes almost at once in the first bitterness of homesickness with others it comes more slowly according to the time it takes each man's heart to die oh those poor northmen of the divide they are dead many a year before they are put to rest in the little graveyard on the windy hill where exiles of all nations grow akin 
the peculiar species of hypochondria to which the exiles of his people sooner or later succumb had not developed in eric until that night at the lone star schoolhouse when he had broken his violin across his knee after that the gloom of his people settled down upon him and the gospel of maceration began its work if thine eye offend thee pluck it out etc the pagan smile that once hovered about his lips was gone and he was one with sorrow religion heals a hundred hearts for one that it embitters but when it destroys its work is quick and deadly and where the agony of the cross has been joy will not come again this man understood things literally one must live without pleasure to die without fear to save the soul it was necessary to starve the soul the sun hung low above the cornfields when margaret and her cavalier left st anne south of the town there is a stretch of road that runs for some three miles through the french settlement where the prairie is as level as the surface of a lake there the fields of flax and wheat and rye are bordered by precise rows of slender tapering lombard poplars it was a yellow world that margaret elliot saw under the wide light of the setting sun the girl gathered up her reins and called back to eric it will be safe to run the horses here won't it yes i think so now he answered touching his spur to his pony's flank they were off like the wind it is an old saying in the west that newcomers always ride a horse or two to death before they get broken into the country they are tempted by the great open spaces and try to outride the horizon to get to the end of something margaret galloped over the level road and eric from behind saw her long veil fluttering in the wind it had fluttered just so in his dreams last night and the night before with a sudden inspiration of courage he overtook her and rode beside her looking intently at her half-averted face before he had only stolen occasional glances at it seen it in blinding flashes always with more or less embarrassment but now he determined to let every line of it sink into his memory men of the world would have said that it was an unusual face nervous finely cut with clear elegant lines that betokened ancestry men of letters would have called it a historic face and would have conjectured at what old passions long asleep what old sorrows forgotten time out of mind doing battle together in ages gone had curved those delicate nostrils left their unconscious memory in those eyes but eric read no meaning in these details to him this beauty was something more than color and line it was as a flash of white light in which one cannot distinguish color because all colors are there to him it was a complete revelation an embodiment of those dreams of impossible loveliness that linger by a young man's pillow on midsummer nights yet because it held something more than the attraction of health and youth and shapeliness it troubled him and in its presence he felt as the goths before the white marbles in the roman capital not knowing whether they were men or gods 
at times he felt like uncovering his head before it again the fury seized him to break and despoil to find the clay in this spirit thing and stamp upon it away from her he longed to strike out with his arms and take and hold it maddened him that this woman whom he could break in his hands should be so much stronger than he but near her he never questioned this strength he admitted its potentiality as he admitted the miracles of the bible it enervated and conquered him to-night when he rode so close to her that he could have touched her he knew that he might as well reach out his hand to take a star margaret stirred uneasily under his gaze and turned questioningly in her saddle this wind puts me a little out of breath when we ride fast she said eric turned his eyes away i want to ask you if i go to new york to work if i maybe hear music like you sang last night i've been a pretty good hand to work he asked timidly margaret looked at him with surprise and then as she studied the outline of his face pityingly well you might but you'd lose a great deal else i shouldn't like you to go to new york and be poor you'd be out of atmosphere some way she said slowly inwardly she was thinking there he would be altogether sordid impossible a machine who would carry one's trunks upstairs perhaps here he is every inch a man rather picturesque why is it no she added aloud i shouldn't like that then i not go said eric decidedly margaret turned her face to hide a smile she was a trifle amused and a trifle annoyed suddenly she spoke again but i'll tell you what i do want you to do eric i want you to dance with us to-morrow night and teach me some of the norwegian dances they say you know them all won't you eric straightened himself in his saddle and his eyes flashed as they had done in the lone star schoolhouse when he broke his violin across his knee yes i will he said quietly and he believed that he delivered his soul to hell as he said it they had reached the rougher country now where the road wound through a narrow cut in one of the bluffs along the creek when a beat of hoofs ahead and the sharp neighing of horses made the ponies start and eric rose in his stirrups then down the gulch in front of them and over the steep clay banks thundered a herd of wild ponies nimble as monkeys and wild as rabbits such as horse traders drive east from the plains of montana to sell in the farming country margaret's pony made a shrill sound a neigh that was almost a scream and started up the clay bank to meet them all the wild blood of the range breaking out in an instant margaret called to eric just as he threw himself out of the saddle and caught her pony's bit but the wiry little animal had gone mad and was kicking and biting like a devil her wild brothers of the range were all about her neighing and pawing the earth and striking her with their forefeet and snapping at her flanks it was the old liberty of the range that the little beast fought for drop the reins and hold tight tight eric called throwing all his weight upon the bit struggling under those frantic forefeet that now beat at his breast and now kicked at the wild mustangs that surged and tossed about him 
he succeeded in wrenching the pony's head toward him and crowding her withers against the clay bank so she could not roll hold tight tight he shouted again launching a kick at a snorting animal that reared back against margaret's saddle if she should lose her courage and fall now under those hoofs he struck out again and again kicking right and left with all his might already the negligent drivers had galloped into the cut and their long quirts were whistling over the heads of the herd as suddenly as it had come the struggling frantic wave of wild life swept up out of the gulch and on across the open prairie and with a long despairing whinny of farewell the pony dropped her head and stood trembling in her sweat shaking the foam and blood from her bit eric stepped close to margaret's side and laid his hand on her saddle you are not hurt he asked hoarsely as he raised his face in the soft starlight she saw that it was white and drawn and that his lips were working nervously uh, no no not at all but you you are suffering they struck you she cried in sharp alarm he stepped back and drew his hand across his brow no it is not that he spoke rapidly now with his hands clenched at his side but if they had hurt you i would beat their brains out with my hands i would kill them all i was never afraid before you are the only beautiful thing that has ever come close to me you came like an angel out of the sky you are like the music you sing you are like the stars and the snow on the mountains where i played when i was a little boy you are like all that i wanted once and never had you are all that they have killed in me i die for you to-night to-morrow for all eternity I am not a coward. I was afraid because I love you more than Christ, who died for me, more than I am afraid of hell or hope for heaven. I was never afraid before. If you had fallen, oh, my God! He threw his arms out blindly and dropped his head upon the pony's mane, leaning limply against the animal like a man struck by some sickness his shoulders rose and fell perceptibly with his labored breathing the horse stood cowed with exhaustion and fear presently margaret laid her hand on eric's head and said gently you are better now shall we go on can you get your horse no he has gone with the herd i will lead yours she is not safe i will not frighten you again his voice was still husky, but it was steady now. He took hold of the bit and tramped home in silence. When they reached the house, Eric stood stolidly by the pony's head until Willis came to lift his sister from the saddle. The horses were badly frightened, Willis. I think I was pretty thoroughly scared myself, she said, as she took her brother's arm and went slowly up the hill toward the house no i'm not hurt thanks to eric you must thank him for taking such good care of me he's a mighty fine fellow i'll tell you all about it in the morning dear i was pretty well shaken up and i'm going right to bed now good night when she reached the low room in which she slept she sank upon the bed in her riding dress face downward oh i pity him i pity him she murmured with a long sigh of exhaustion she must have slept a little 
when she arose again she took from her dress a letter that had been waiting for her at the village post-office it was closely written in a long angular hand covering a dozen pages of foreign note-paper and began my dearest margaret if i should attempt to say how like a winter hath thine absence been i should incur the risk of being tedious really it takes the sparkle out of everything having nothing better to do and not caring to go anywhere in particular without you i remained in the city until jack courtwell noted my general despondency and brought me down here to his place on the sound to manage some open-air theatricals he is getting up as you like it is of course the piece selected miss harrison plays rosalind i wish you had been here to take the part miss harrison reads her lines well but she is either a maiden all forlorn or a tomboy insists on reading into the part all sorts of deeper meanings and highly coloured suggestions wholly out of harmony with the pastoral setting like most of the professionals she exaggerates the emotional element and quite fails to do justice to rosalind's facile wit and really brilliant mental qualities gerard will do orlando but rumour says he is a prix of your sometime friend miss meredith and his memory is treacherous and his interest fitful my new pictures arrived last week on the gascoigne the Pouvres de Chauvins is even more beautiful than I thought it in Paris. A pale dream-maiden sits by a pale dream-cow, and a stream of anemic water flows at her feet. The constant, you will remember, I got because you admired it. It is here in all its florid splendor, the whole dominated by a glowing sensuosity the drapery of the female figure is as wonderful as you said the fabric all barbaric pearl and gold painted with an easy effortless voluptuousness and that white gleaming line of african coast in the background recalls memories of you very precious to me but it is useless to deny that constant irritates me though i cannot prove the charge against him his brilliancy always makes me suspect him of cheapness here margaret stopped and glanced at the remaining pages of this strange love-letter they seemed to be filled chiefly with discussions of pictures and books and with a slow smile she laid them by she rose and began undressing before she lay down she went to open the window with her hand on the sill she hesitated feeling suddenly as though some danger were lurking outside some inordinate desire waiting to spring upon her in the darkness she stood there for a long time gazing at the infinite sweep of the sky oh it is all so little so little there she murmured when everything else is so dwarfed why should one expect love to be great why should one try to read highly coloured suggestions into a life like that if only i could find one thing in it all that mattered greatly one thing that would warm me when i am alone will life never give me that one great moment as she raised the window she heard a sound in the plum bushes outside it was only the house-dog roused from his sleep but margaret started violently and trembled so that she caught the foot of the bed for support 
again she felt herself pursued by some overwhelming longing some desperate necessity for herself like the outstretching of helpless unseen arms in the darkness and the air seemed heavy with sighs of yearning she fled to her bed with the words i love you more than christ who died for me ringing in her ears end of part four